Continuing once again in what I think will be the the last installment in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, Tribes, Nations, Dishonor, and Light, part 3. Now, if you're just joining us, if you've been out for a while, or if you're a first-time guest, I'd have you note that... uh, what we try to do is is move step by step through the scriptures, and so uh, there may be some stuff I say today that uh, uh, in a vacuum may may not make sense to you. But if you've been out for a few weeks, I would I would suggest that you go back and you take a look at the sermons that came before. So once again, this morning in our study in Matthew chapter four, looking at verses twelve through seventeen, one of the things that we've said over the last several weeks is. When you examine the ministry of Jesus Christ, one of the first things that you notice is proclaiming the gospel is hard. It is full of ups and downs, it is full of victory, and it is full of travail. And all we have to do, even this early on in the ministry of Jesus, is look where that ministry has taken him already. Once his ministry becomes public, we see his baptism at the hands of John the Baptist, the heavens opened, the spirit descending like a dove, and the statement that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. From that high to 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, being tempted by Satan himself, Then up to Jerusalem for the Passover where we see the clearing of the temple of the money changers and Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, telling him that you must be born again. The imprisonment of John the Baptist. And then the declaration in Nazareth by Jesus himself that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the Messiah to come, only to be run out of town by a murderous mob. All of these highs and lows, all of this victory and travail in order to fulfill the word that was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Now that when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, On them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus leaves Nazareth. He leaves the heart of Judea, and instead he moves to an unlikely area with an unlikely audience. He goes north into the region of Galilee. Not Judea where he was raised, not Judea where talk about the Messiah would be prevalent, not the tribes of Judah and Levi that had survived the Babylonian captivity and all their descendants. He goes to the Galilee where instead of just Jews, you see a lot of a mixed bag, a lot of Samaritans, the half-blood remnants of the northern tribes of Israel. They call them the lost tribes. They weren't lost. They were shattered. They were shattered at the hand of God Himself when they raised up for themselves two golden calves in northern Israel and said, This, O Israel, is thy Elohim. This is thy God that led you out of Egypt. And they forsook Yahweh. From whom come the very fountain of life. And turned instead to the worship of demons. And the Lord said it will not stand. They were scattered. To the four corners of the earth. There's a lot of Samaritans in the region of Galilee. The remnants of tribes like Zebulun and Naphtali. 
but even more scandalous for a Jewish prophet. The land of Galilee is full of Gentiles, Canaanites and Amorites and Philistines. And then later, ones that our ancestors would be more associated with Assyrians and Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is preaching to the most diverse group that he can preach to in this part of the world. And I suppose he must if his intent is to end up at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If that is your purpose and your intention and your end, then in first century Israel, there's no better place to start than the region of the Galilee, the tribe of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles. For as Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. However, salvation is not of the Jews. Salvation is of Jesus Christ. And it is unto all of his people. Which is why in the Gospel of John in chapter 1 and verses 11 through 13, the revelator states this, that he came to his own. He came to his own. He came to Nazareth. He came to Jerusalem. He came to the heart of the tribe of Judah. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And so, last week we looked intently at the nature of the northern tribes of Israel whose descendants that had blended with the Assyrians Jesus was in the midst of when he went to the Galilee. This week we want to consider who are the Gentiles. In Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, if you've been around church most of your life, you probably have a, at least a decent idea of who the Gentiles are. The modern church house understanding of the nature of a Gentile is a pretty general description. If you ask somebody, what is a Gentile? The response is probably going to be something along the lines of, well, anybody who's not a Jew. That's pretty much who the Gentiles are. And and guys, in honesty, that's not a bad definition. It may be a little shallow, but it's accurate. You want to know who the Gentiles are? Everybody that's not a Jew, which which definitely means me and probably here in Arkansas means you. This is probably most of us, if not all of us. In truth, what we really mean when we say that is everyone who's not Israel. The term Jew didn't arise until after the destruction of northern Israel and the return of the southern kingdom of Judah from the Babylonian captivity. That's why they were called Jews, is because they were primarily of the tribe of Judah. The rest of them, Zebulun and Nephtali and their like, all lost their identity to the scourge of the Assyrian horde. What we really mean is everyone who is not of Israel, everyone who is not the blood descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you look at the Greek, the Greek word here that we translate as Gentile, you'll recognize it well, is the Greek word ethnos. And you'll know what it means because it's where we get our word for ethnicity. It simply means multitude, a race, a people, or a nation. And so when you talk about Gentiles, what you're talking about is the multitudes, the nations, the peoples, the races, other than 
the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you consider these people throughout the Scripture in 90-some-odd percent of the timeline of Scripture, actually like 98% of the timeline of Scripture, they are not viewed in a very positive light. As a matter of fact, probably the clearest place to see the view of the Jew of the Gentile in Scripture is from Jesus' own mouth in Matthew chapter 15 and verses 21 through 26. You may be familiar with this portion of the narrative. I hope that you are. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21, it says that Jesus went away from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you think Galilee is rough, this is pressing on into the rough of the rough. If you've ever been to downtown Memphis, you'll find that they have taken the downtown district and turned it in, as is the habit of doing, of somewhat of a touristy area. And so places that were famous for producing particular particular genres of blues and all of those things, you know, back 100 years ago, 80 years ago, have now been turned into a very tourist district with, you know, very kind of, you know, there's, 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 there's officers on every street corner and there's street performers and, and um, you know, flashing lights and fancy restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Now, it's one thing to go down there. It's another thing to take a hard eastern turn and head about three blocks in the other direction. Now we're in Memphis. That's Tyre and Sidon. Galilee may be a mixed bag. This is the heart of spiritual darkness. And so Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Okay, this, this woman's not a Samaritan. She, she's, she's not part... Jew, she's not part Israelite and, and part Assyrian. She is a Canaanite. She is as ethnos, she is as Gentile as Gentile gets. And she came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And this woman is at her wit's end. She doesn't know what else to do. Her ethnos, her, her image is her, her, her personhood as a Gentile, and all of the culture and pagan religion that comes along with that has utterly failed her. As a matter of fact, it has probably played into the hand and is part of the reason that her daughter is possessed by a demon. And she comes out crying out to this Jew, saying, Help me, For my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now how in the world can you do anything but have your heart break for that woman? And yet it says he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. Send this Canaanite away. She's making a scene. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of of Israel I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel that's a pretty hard statement to a desperate woman and she came and knelt before him saying Lord help me she man she is at the end of her rope friends she's, pretense is gone saving face is gone pride is gone she just is desperate for help for her daughter, and he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Friends, I've made some people uncomfortable in the pulpit in my time. I've never said anything like that. That, not only, forget about screaming against the seeker-friendly movement in the church today, that grates on that that grates on my dirt road sensibilities. Like that's rough, man. This woman comes out and she is desperate. She she's desperate. If she is seeking a Jew for help, she is desperate. 
I mean, don't forget, these are the people that gave it the good old college try several times to annihilate every single Canaanite on the planet. She comes out begging him. He tells her, the disciples want him to send her away. He tells her no. She just keeps going and he says, it's not for me to take away the children's food and give it to the dogs. The ethnos across the timeline of scripture is generally not viewed in very high regard. But if you don't understand what the Gentiles are and how they came to be, you cannot appreciate the significance of Christ going into their midst. And I mean, you have to know more than it means just not a Jew. You've got to know who they are and where they came from. And since most of us here would have at least mainly Gentile blood, if not completely Gentile blood, then I would say this, if you don't know where we came from and how we came to be, you cannot appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed to people like me and people like you. So let's talk this morning about the genesis of the Gentiles. This is Galilee of the Gentiles that he is going into. Where did these people come from? Well, if you want to figure out where the Gentiles come from, this kind of great overarching ethnos, the first thing you have to do is go back far enough that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We need to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. In verses 1 through 8, in the very beginning of the flood narrative, Back in the day, when it just went from men's Bible study to Genesis, Dan said it was because, Dan said it was because if you didn't understand Genesis, you wouldn't understand any of the rest. And so here it is in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And the Nephilim were in the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, there is a lot to say there today, but we don't have time to exegete all of it. And if you're interested in it, I would point you towards Toby's Sunday school class or toward Jamie's Wednesday night small group. For this morning, what I want to focus on is the genesis of the Gentiles. Before there was Gentile and before there was Jew, there was mankind upon the face of the earth. The sons of God took a particular fancy in men. And men took a particular fancy in them. And lawlessness, in the corporate sense, was birthed in the midst of the creation for the first time. I'm not talking about the kind of lawlessness that just speaks of a land without the rule of law. I'm talking about the kind of lawlessness that Scripture continually speaks about, about the partnership between the fallen divine and the fallen terrestrial in willful rebellion against their God. The kind of lawlessness that you see individually in the partnership between the serpent and between Adam and Eve in the garden. The kind of lawlessness that you see Paul talk about to the Thessalonians as he writes to them about the man of lawlessness that is to come. Here we see it in its first corporate expression recorded in the text. Fallen angel, if you will, and fallen man. 
fascinated with each other and the potential for combined rebellion against their creator. And the Lord looked at it and he said, it is only continually evil all the time. Noah found favor in the eyes of the God of God, but the rest of the world did not. And he destroyed it. The great flood. You would think it would bring about the great reset. You would think that it would fix mankind's rebellion. If the only men on earth come from a small family who survived this global catastrophe, this cataclysm, and you know, man, look, you know if you're Noah's great, great, great grandkid, that like all you hear from the time you were born until the time you die and all you tell your progeny after you is the events about how y'all survived when no one else did. You would think it would fix their rebellion. But according to Romans chapter 1, all mankind does is use such opportunities to help perfect their rebellion. And so, God speaks after the cataclysm to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. In verses 1 through 6, and he tells him what his desire is for mankind on earth. And in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, it says that God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. After the flood that destroyed the wickedness of men from off the face of the earth, this is God's word to Noah. You've been given dominion. The fear of you will be in the beast of the land. I give you not only the plants, but also flesh for food. Do not eat the flesh with the life in it. That is to say, it's blood. And for the lifeblood of a man, there will be a reckoning made by God himself. For man was made in the image of God. Now go forth and spread across the face of this world that has been returned to you in grace and fill it. And they looked at him over the course of their generations and said, we think we have a better idea. Man just couldn't get the taste that he had developed for the divine out of his mouth and decided to exalt himself to heaven. And so, just a couple of pages over in Genesis chapter 11, in verses 1 through 9, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come and let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us get together, pool our resources, use our wits, develop the technology, and do something that will elevate us to the place of God. Let us raise a tower that will reach up to the heavens, give us a name for ourselves that will endure so that we don't have to do the thing that God told us to do. So that we don't have to disperse across the face of the earth and fill it. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. 
And they have all one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The Lord gave his good command to Noah and to Noah's descendants. Spread it. You've been given dominion. Spread across the face of the earth. Multiply and fill it. And they said, no, lest we do what the Lord said, let us build a tower to make a name for ourselves that stretches to the heavens. And the Lord said, I will not have your rebellion. And he comes down and he confuses their language and he spreads them across the face of the world. He disperses the nations of men. He disperses the ethnos of men. And what was the manner of that dispersing? The means was the confusion of their language. They could no longer communicate with each other, so people do what people do. You have a tendency to form up in little groups, make little bands, make little tribes, make little cliques of people that have the same interest as you or speak the same language as you. And if you've ever found yourself alone in a country where there are basically no English speakers in the public square, you will know that when you hear one, you gravitate towards that person instantly. It's nice to have a little shelter in the storm. So they start balling up in groups, and they're dispersed across the face of the earth. Confusion of the language was the means of the dispersion. But what was the manner of it? The manner of it was it caused the forming of the ethnos. It caused the forming of the nations and the peoples and the races and the multitudes And this was not outside of God's doing, but was commanded by him when after their continued rebellion, he disinherited them from himself. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. I want to look at it one more time this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 32 in verses 4 through 9. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, in verses 4 through 9, we see the song of Moses, which covers pretty much everything from creation all the way to the consummation of the age. You understand that John records in the Revelation that the song that is sung in heaven is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Because the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is ultimately the same song. It's all speaking about the redemption that is coming forth from before the foundation of the world into the eternity of the new Jerusalem. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 49, Moses gives us insight into the manner by which the nations were dispersed. And it looks like this. Lawless men being disinherited by God and given over to lawless Elohim, being given over to lawless small g gods, if you will, from your English Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, in verse 4, it says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. And they just rebel and rebel and rebel and rebel. They've dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. What you're reading about here is a disinheritance, a disavowing. They are no longer his children. They are crooked and twisted Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, he'll show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, 
When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples, here is the manner, according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. When it came down to the dispersions of the ethnos, when it came down to the dispersing of the nations across the face of the earth, Moses tells us the Lord did it this way. He divided their number, not according to the sons of men. He divided their number according to the sons of God. But Yahweh kept Israel as the portion for himself. He kept Israel as his inheritance. He kept Israel as his people. And he dispersed what the Greeks would call the ethnos, the nations, the tribes, the peoples, the races. He handed them over to the fallen sons of God. He disinherited the nations. He gave Ra the Egyptians and Baal the Canaanites and Chemosh the Moabites and Marduk the Babylonians and Zeus the Greeks and Jupiter the Romans. But Israel was Yahweh's own portion. His own inheritance. For Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 says, That you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so after rebellion upon rebellion upon rebellion. After the lawlessness of combined rebellion that brought about the flood, the return of the rebellion of men after the flood and the attempt to deny God and gain divinity for themselves. The Lord said to the nations, he said to the ethnos, I'm done with you. I disinherit you. You are no longer my children. I hand you over to these. I hand you over into the hands of demons. I'll keep Israel for myself. And day upon day, year upon year, season upon season, generation upon generation, for centuries, for millennia, they followed after it. Not against their will, but according to it. That's what a Gentile is. A Gentile is the result of continual willful lawlessness God turning over entire people groups to the worship of demons that's a Gentile that's a Gentile buddy that's your heritage and that's mine and now understanding that You know, man, some dark, heavy stuff. It is some dark, heavy stuff. Understanding that, now understand the glorious reality that light has shone upon the Gentiles. Consider the goodness and the mercy of God. You see, when you understand where the Gentiles, where you understand where we came from, you gain a depth of understanding first of Gentile hopelessness and secondly of the depth of Christ's glorious grace. When you understand where Gentiles came from and they're not just a, just a, simply a, a catch-all for everybody who doesn't happen to be a Jew, but when you understand where they came from, that they were disinherited by God and rightfully so for the rebellion that they had consistently participated in. When you understand that's how you get a Gentile, then all of a sudden, Galilee of the Gentiles and those walking in darkness on them, a great light is shown, becomes something more than just what you put on the front of a Christmas card. 
it opens up the meaning of Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, just cracks it wide open. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And I know for some of you, you've been getting a lot of Ephesians lately. I'm just going to touch on it this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we've all read this before. But when you realize what a Gentile is, all of a sudden it makes more sense. Paul's not just speaking in imagery, trying to make you understand that you didn't have a part in Christ. He's speaking about the heritage of your spiritual reality. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember, you Gentiles that aren't Jews. Called the uncircumcision by the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. Yeah, you were. He disowned you. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's not just flowery speech. The Lord did it. Because He brought the flood... And in the indictment against themselves, the men that would later be called Gentile looked around and said, well, that wasn't enough to crack our nut. We've got more in the bank. You said scatter and fill. What we're going to do is stay and build. And we'll build it right up to the heights of heaven. We'll build it right up till we can look you in the eye. We've had a taste of the divine and we like it. And the Lord said, no, you won't. Confusion, scattering. You could have scattered according to God's plan and been blessed in the scattering. Instead, you will be scattered by force and be cursed in it. I have nothing more to do with you. You are crooked and twisted. Jacob is my allotted portion. Apart from the covenants of promise, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and without the hope of God in this world. You want to know when the gospel's preached, who it's being preached to? People say, are you a sovereign grace guy? Yeah, I'm a sovereign grace guy. You know why? Because scripture says so, but because man, the gospel's not going to work if God's not gracious and sovereign. Man, if the flood would not turn them your preaching and mine is not going to chip the paint. Man, the Gentiles are hopeless. They're a lost, disinherited cause. Until you understand the depth of Christ's glorious grace to them. For Paul's not finished. He doesn't leave them without God in the world. But he continues in verse 13 and says, But now, but now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. And so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were near. Killing the hostility. He preached peace to you who were near and to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Well, I butchered 17, so I'm going to read it again. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He came and preached peace to those he had disinherited. He came to preach peace to those that were his inheritance in Jacob. For through him, 
We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer disenfranchised and disinherited. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It was your sin, it was your rebellion that caused God to disinherit you and leave you in the world without him. It is His goodness and His grace that has ended the hostility, brought peace where there was war, and returned you who were alien to the same promises that He gave to His own in Jacob. That's the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And that's not just high doctrine and generalized cultural spiritual realities. All of these things come to fruition like we saw last week in the individual. You understand that, right? This isn't talking points. This isn't things that make you go, hmm, about the nature of international politics and intrigue. This comes down to real people with real kids. that are sometimes oppressed by demons and are at their wits end. And so back in Matthew chapter 15, because I want to show you what it looks like in real time. Back in Matthew chapter 15 again. Gentile dog. All of a sudden makes a lot more sense. And it even makes more sense that Jesus himself is saying it. That's why he disinherited them. is because their nature of their character is that they're a dog. It may be offensive, but it's true. And so back in Matthew chapter 15... And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. He divided them according to the number of the sons of God. And somewhere in the hierarchy of that allotment was the ancestors of this woman and her daughter and somewhere in the hierarchy of that allotment is this demon who oppresses her this day. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right to take Jacob, my allotted heritage, and the bread that is going to come to them in me and throw it to the dogs who I disinherited millennia ago. And it was right for me to do so. People walking in darkness, a light is dawned. She said, You want to study in humility? She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus Christ is not a liar. You can amen. Amen? Jesus Christ is not a liar, man. If he says that it's true, he is the way, the truth, and the light. He doesn't just speak the truth, he is the truth. When Jesus says, you're a dog, that's because you're a dog. Oh man, we want to take the sharp edges off the gospel. 
You don't want to do that. It's what brings conviction. When Jesus says you're a dog, you're a dog. It's a pitiful scene. Christ speaks the truth. I didn't come here for the dogs. I came here for the lost sheep, the lost children of Israel. Yes, Lord, but even, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What you see here is the nature of the salvation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it takes someone who is an absolute Jesus, it, it takes someone who's an absolute dog. We would sing, we would sing a wretch like me. When it takes someone who is a dog, who is a wretch, who is from a lineage of dogs and wretches, they were so persistent in their rebellion, that's how they became ethnos. It's how they became dogs and wretches. The glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is he recognizes what you are, proclaims to you that I didn't come for the dogs, I came for the lost children of Israel. And in a moment of blinding miracle, she ceases to be a dog and becomes a child. He's not a liar. Jesus didn't change his mind. He didn't go, you know what, I think maybe I took too hard of a line. You ever do that in a sermon, gym, or in a class? I think I took too hard of a line. We're going to woe it up next week and back up a little bit. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus never takes too hard of a line. He never takes too soft of a line. Jesus takes the perfect line every time. And so it's not that he is regretful of what he has said to her. It's not that he's shocked by her faith. Scripture says the reason that she has the faith at this moment is because it was Christ himself that gave it to her. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. He gave it to her. So he's, he's not taken aback. He's not shocked. This, this didn't go the opposite direction that he thought it was going to go. It went exactly how it was going to go. And in this moment, you see the miracle of the new creation where a Gentile dog becomes a child of Israel. Where one who had been divorced, set apart, and disinherited from the things of God becomes the bait, the treasured possession in the family of God himself. Not because she was smarter, not because she was better, not because she was greater but because of God himself. That's grace. That's grace. That's what it looks like when the light of Jesus Christ has dawned upon a hopeless people. This is a woman who was God's enemy who is now being taken captive to Christ Jesus. You ever wonder why it said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift? Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Because that what, that's what happens in the midst of war. When you put the hostility to an end and bring peace by capturing your enemies to yourself. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 that while we were enemies we were reconciled to God. Not because we were neutral but because we were Gentile. We were ethnos. We were disinherited. There was hostility. There was war. And we were following after every divine thing that we could follow after that was hostile to him. He doesn't water it down. He calls it exactly what it is. And then the creator brings forth new creation. And what was a dog becomes the children, the lost sheep of Israel found He went leaving Nazareth. And he went to Galilee of the Gentiles so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, in the shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. That is the gospel 
Men are sinners in rebellion against God. And even when the wrath of God is displayed to them, all it will do is cause them to run further into the perfection of their rebellion. But when the grace of God and the light of Jesus Christ shines upon men, they become something they formerly were not. That's the gospel. He went to the darkest place in order that the light might shine the brightest. And in shining, he would draw all of the lost sheep of Israel to himself. Those of the blood of Jacob that did not know their own Messiah. And those that had been disinherited from him millennia ago. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Right here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew highlights the fact that he goes to Galilee. And he looks at the darkest of the dark. He looks at Zebulun and Naphtali, these northern tribes that having known God and had an inheritance, rejected it on their own and instead turned to other Elohim, to other gods. He highlights the Gentiles that had done it so long ago, God wrote them off before Abraham was ever born. These are the people. These are the people that he's going to preach the Sermon on the Mount to. The light is about to shine in the darkness and it will have an effect that is reverberating even to this very moment. And so... Man, if you're offended today, if, you're, if you don't belong to Christ and you don't like being called a dog, here's what I would tell you. There's an opportunity right here to not be a dog. <laughs> right here. Call in the name of Christ. He's faithful to answer all who truly call upon his name. He will regenerate you. He will make you new. If you do belong to him today, then consider what you, you know, you may not have known exactly what you were as a Gentile. Now you do. Consider the goodness of his glory and what he has done for you and rejoice in it. For he is worthy of the glory to his name. And you can come to Christ right where you sit. I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we consider your word and the fact that you would go into the midst of darkness and shine the light that, that only you can shine, Lord. We stand in awe of your goodness. We stand in awe of your grace. We stand in awe of your mercy, Lord. And we say that your ways are perfect and that they are higher than our ways. Lord, we rejoice. We exult. We extol. Lord, we pray that our praise and worship would be worthy of you. And where it is not, Lord, we pray that your spirit would sanctify it so that it would be acceptable before your throne. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.